gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode seven. Or at least a review of Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. It's Friday, December uh, 18th, 2015. This day is actually finally here. Matt Patch has survived without being spoiled on a single thing in Star Wars The Force Awakens. I, I saw him. There were real surprises. To, on his way to the bathroom before the movie, walking with his head down into things <laughs> in order to avoid seeing the banner poster. <laughs> I, there were also there were also images still frames from the movie in the yeah. concessions. On the one hand, it was it. tragic and embarrassing. On the other, very impressive. <laughs> well, we're gonna we're gonna talk a lot more about uh, specifically Patches and his Star Wars experience in regard to avoiding spoilers. But we are here to review Star Wars: The Force Awakens, which uh, we can actually talk about in some detail. We will not have anything that's uh, regarded as spoilers in the first half. We'll have a very clearly marked spoiler section, and there will be spoilers there. So. You've been warned, but we'll stick to what's, I think, been acceptable on the internet so far to discuss. Um, and if you've seen it by this point, yes, which hopefully. you might have, uh, you're going to want to hear and talk about it because that's the type of movie I think it is. Yes, there's definitely a lot of things that... They already know that. They saw it. We've all we've all seen the light now. Uh, yeah, Star Wars The Force Awakens. It's uh, set some time after the original trilogy. Uh, the main... Wait, I was told there's an exact 32. number of years. Wow. See? I didn't know that. I don't think that's going to be. So that would put it at about 64 ABY. Oh Dave? I mean, uh, well, I, I think the Battle of Yavin got sent Oh, from- God. I'm all, uh, abort. Oh, yeah, abort. Guys, I'm just abort. Star Wars than I ever expected in the last couple <laughs> weeks, but this is too much. Quickly. I think, that, to I think that's year four now, so I'd have to do if some quick adding, but you might be right. that are at least remotely pertinent to the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew that would make David feel bad. I had to mention. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so it's a, it's a story about a girl named Ray, basically, who's growing up on a desert planet. She's a scavenger. She's been abandoned by her family. and uh, It's not Tatooine. Jakku, it's Jakku. Like, it's yeah, totally it's different. desert planet. Um, and she uh, kind of happens upon, by chance, this little droid called BB-8 that actually that's one of the things Batches did know about, the BB-8, because no one on the internet could shut up about this adorable ball droid. Uh, who has in him some uh, secret plans that we, can we talk about what the plans are? He has it's, a zip yeah, drive, a flash drive because we're still you really don't have or to a flash talk. drive. It's Sorry, flash yeah, I mean he has he has a thing <laughs> just like just like the way that R two D two contain uh, secret plans for the Death Star. <laughs> BBA contains some information that both. Yes. I'm, I'm only honing in on the fact that it's a it's a flash drive because we're still yes. using I mean, flash drive MacGuffins even in Star Wars. If you've seen A New Hope. And you've seen Mission Impossible 3. You can pretty much just meld them together and you have a pretty good sense of how this movie works. Um, so, yeah. Ray finds BB-8. She eventually encounters Finn, who is a stormtrooper, a former stormtrooper who has defected uh, with the help of Poe Dameron, who is an X-Wing fighter pilot for the Resistance, who uh, gets captured by the First Order briefly. The First Order is kind of the very Empire-esque organization that has emerged in the time since the last movie. Uh, there are even yeah, for some reason, after Return of the Jedi... After Return of the Jedi, they win, they destroy the Death Star, the Empire falls, and somehow they let it slip out of their grasp, and, oh. and the First Order has and, taken uh, over. And they still have Stormtroopers, though I'm told they look different from the old ones, though I could not tell you how. Yep. 
They're smoother. They're more Apple-like. <laughs> so, Steve, so it's all a metaphor for If Steve you look Jobs. at the way an iPod looked yes. in, like, 1999 versus the way an iPod <laughs> will look in 20-whatever, exactly. um, I think that the uh, evolution in Stormtrooper design is is not really up to snuff. Um, yes. So Kylo Ren is the leader of the New Order – or not New Order. Uh, <laughs> God, I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> the front man of New Order. It's a sweet black After Ian, Cor- Ian Curtis killed himself uh, and the Joy Division. He kind of loves Darth Vader, wants to finish what he started, as heard in the trailer. He's played by Adam Driver. Um, and that's kind of our four main characters. And basically, I think what we're set to talk about in the uh, first half of this review is the first 40 minutes, which I think all of us actually agree are pretty great. And then uh, as we get further into what happens to the rest of the film, we might hit some disagreements. But do we all agree that the the opening 45 minutes or so of this movie are spot on? I mean, I think it's it's good. <laughs> <laughs> I I I I'm back and forth. I mean, I I yeah, I think the beginning of this movie is pretty good um, because it's luxuriating in itself a little bit more. It's setting up these introductions. It's taking its time, especially the stuff with Ray, you know, traversing Jakku and uh, scavenging for scrap metal in the remains of. Uh, I guess there was a battle of Jakku. Which uh, happens in like <laughs> it was, uh, it, was part five of ABY. Happy, it was part of a Happy Meal uh, promotion <laughs> they had a few months ago. <laughs> you... Yeah, the Beanie Babies fought in the Battle How did of Jakku. You Jakku? Read about this on the inside of your McRib packaging. <laughs> <laughs> I had to avoid there for three <laughs> long years. Um, yeah, I oh just God. didn't even know it's back. <laughs> I felt an awakening <laughs> in the McRib. <laughs> it's here. Anyway, I, I mean. There's there's some amazing just shots and, and scenic um, Michigas and that sort of thing. The stuff that George Lucas would have done and really just taking the time to be like, look at the desert. You know, like make this a little experimental, make this a little Koenigsegg and just have these giant fallen star destroyers in the background and let Ray, uh, you know, speed across the land and and take it all in. It actually has a moment. I mean, there's I guess there's some action sequences. There's a big one with Poe and. Um, our, our villain, uh, what's his Kylo name? Ren. Kylo Kylo Ren. And also an, Kylo an escape Ren. sequence oh, wait. Uh, with Poe Dameron and uh, Finn. Oh, right. Yeah, that... Yes. Those, I think, are the beginning of where this movie is starting to sour oh, man, already. Wow. I don't think any of the action really works or is very exciting, well, which is surprising. Let's... Like, even the shootouts and stuff in the beginning It's are funny very because odd, the, but... uh, the action sequences, and I use air quotes to describe that you just uh, – mentioned didn't feel to me like action sequences and i mean that as a compliment because they're so uh organically entwined in the texture of the narrative at that point in this in these opening half hour 40 minutes of the movie that they just feel like logical extensions of the story um i mean i think the first whatever it is uh the sequences on jeku and the surrounding areas are phenomenal i would say and this you know you should take with a grain of salt because i have no special attachment to any of the star wars uh are far and away the highlight of any of these fucking movies uh i mean really just well they're also they seem practically oh, shot like they definitely went to the desert and they're setting off giant explosions and yeah. f- sand is flying in the and air even it when looks really cool a spaceship, it feels you, you you understand what the controls that they're hitting even when it makes nonsense like there's like there's a physical physical interaction with the machinery yeah, oh, it's it's amazing. It's amazing. Like, and all that, 
all like every shot has something it's so full of life which is something that Star Wars movies have always done very well and I think a big part of their initial appeal uh you know, there are little aliens that pop up in the dunes and whatever and uh you know BB-8 is introduced and he's obviously like without question the greatest character in the Star Wars universe there ever was or will be um he BB-8 just BB-8 is amazing he, might have been a little too cute in, for me. He, he puts in perspective <laughs> just how boring all of the humans are in these movies but uh, anyway, he's, D2 really does not stand it, no, next pa- no, uh, <laughs> no, BB-8 is, is the best character that Pixar never created and probably <laughs> wishes that they did. Uh, but I, that, I was really blown away by the first half hour of this movie. Um, I think the Poe Dameron, I mean, Oscar Isaac is just so, so insanely charismatic. Uh, I wish that he had been front and center, although I suspect he will be later. Um, he is wonderful and the chemistry between... Ray and Finn and they're, when they find the ship that I will not describe is great. Uh, and then the rest of the movie just descends into utter incident mediocrity and noise and is too busy and is uh, uh, a, a retread of, you know, we'll talk about why it's not so bad that it, that it revisits and echoes the previous or the original trilogy. But um, there, there is not maybe like a single identifiable scene in the last 70 minutes of this movie. That, ugh, yeah. That's I, not true. No, it's not true at all. Feels uh, but, that way. But, okay, wait. Before, uh, before Dave and I jump in to defend the honor of this movie, Patches, is that a, do you agree basically with what David's saying there? I know you think, think it sours earlier, but is that essentially your problem with it? The pacing and the way that it kind of uh, becomes. Well, definitely, yeah, definitely the pacing. It feels completely mismanaged. I'm really not. Um, J.J. Abrams' direction of the film, I think, really kind of stands in the way. There's this weird. And I was working this out at like 3 a.m. in the morning when we we're writing our reviews and stuff. And but I, my my mind felt boggled because in one way, he's using modern technology. You know, he has his snap zooms and that sort of thing, all uh, enabled by CG. And um, a lot of the aliens, I was surprised that a lot of the aliens are CG, not um, practical makeup and that sort of thing. Lupita Nyong'o's character is all CG. Uh, we we do that. You did not, which yeah. is oh, fair. I didn't know that. That was uh, good. But yes, that I had time to process that inevitable disappointment. Um, but yeah, so you have this really technical element, this very modern element, and yet you have the the 70s aesthetic. You have what Lucas was doing in the very beginning. So you, it feels like the whole movie's playing dress up. Then you add on to the fact that it's it's echoing those original movies so closely it's challenging those movies in some ways it's it's so it seems so self-aware like this movie is obsessed with another movie even though it's happening it's it it's the same timeline it's very it's a very odd sensation so it's kind of like between the prequels and the and the original trilogy and my mind was just boggled by it all Do you think it's um, a- it really didn't pick a direction it didn't pick a choice and and really invest in that first. Do you think combining uh, it just feels built around the does original. Does combining movies, yeah. puppetry and CGI characters in that way does that like bother you on a fundamental level, or do you just feel like it? I mean, I- no, it just doesn't seem integrated hmm. well. I, I constantly feel like he's using practical elements and kind of fetishizing them, and then all of a sudden something really CG. Yeah. Will but like, but or he's, he's like composing he's composing like the original movies there's a great example so there's a scene in the middle of the movie that's very much the Moss Isley Cantina moment and uh, in the original movies Lucas would you know he's got so many characters in this thing why not just have a shot 
for each of them and really soak it all up. Look at all this design work we did. Look at how vibrant and weird this cantina crowd is. And then in this movie, well, we have all that, but then J.J. Abrams, he's almost like, well, you've seen it before, so just fill in the blanks because my camera's going to zoom in and out of all these places and all these whip pans and just kind of fly through it all as if it doesn't matter if, if, if we're going to fill it in well, ourselves. Well, I think there's a certain it's vibrancy a to, to uh, letting it go to the audience's imagination that there's more off and out of frame than you can see. I, I think to Abrams' credit, uh, not dwelling on every individual character is not necessarily a negative for me, although... It was frustrating when, like, there in that cantina scene, there's this one alien who looks a lot like uh, what's her name? That actress from Paper Towns. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and uh, she is in. She just one very incidental thing and disappears. And I was like, oh, you know, she looked interesting. See more of her. Uh, but you don't really get that. But I will say, it made the terrible CG characters, such as one that Andy Serkis plays, all the more frustrating because you know. Um, and just coming after those first 30 minutes when everything is so organic and tactile uh, to right. have, I don't know, the big bad of this entire franchise, this entire trilogy, perhaps, be a character that actually hurts to look at is uh, uh, is kind of disappointing. It's actually big. <laughs> I mean, I think. And bad. It's to, Katie, it is, it is a garbage that, fire of CG and you know it. I think that character than we are physically seeing in this movie, but we can get into that later. Um, Dave, I think it's, I kind of want to throw to you because especially as we're talking about character design, which is something that I know you're into in general. Um, I mean, what do you want to talk about first, the character design or the movie itself? Uh, I mean, I guess the movie is a success to me and I kind of feel like I'd set my bar, although it may seem like it's ridiculously high because it's all I could talk about for like a year and a half. <laughs> like it was, it was basically where it was for Jurassic World, which is like, take oh. this thing, don't fuck it up. And then the difference is, is that we know going into this, where we didn't know going into Jurassic World, is that there's going to be more of this. So the movie's main function, or what I was looking out for for it, was, you know, give me a reason to continue to care because all these people I used to care about are going to die before you're done making Star Wars movies. So the fact that the first 40 minutes of the movie works so well, and then the second one just sets up a whole bunch of stuff that we're going to deal with later is basically what I want from a crazy blockbuster action serial. And then as a Star Wars fan, like it didn't give me all the answers I wanted, but in the sense that it's a like echo of New Hope and has like little bits of Empire and Jedi thrown but in. But you don't think like you color. should want more because you want, you know, I've again, I I don't hold a New Hope in particularly high regard, but uh you know, they were made with the hope that there would be more but not the promise and it's still a self-contained adventure while um, inadvertently or otherwise laying the groundwork for uh, movies that could come later, movies that successfully and retroactively found the elements in that original movie that they wanted to uh, develop. And this movie feels like a product of the Hunger Games generation. And I think that all oh. Star Wars movies will inevitably reflect their time, and that's part and parcel of the deal. This is a story about the cyclicality of, of generations, and, and uh, that is a huge element of how they are the, the lineage of the characters is so important, passing it down from one to another, just as we in the audience have the same um, – we see the original Star Wars films through the same lens of, of myth as the characters in the movie do. Uh, and I think that that is a relationship that 
Disney is more than happy to forge between audience and film. But when so much of it is just setting up what comes next, uh, and it's very, very difficult to get invested in anything that happens, to locate myself, to to know why after we leave Jakku, what planet is that that's blowing up, and how did all these troops get there, and where are we in oh. the scale of what's happening, and it's just like... We what? never understand the yes. conflict in this, you're, you're in this movie. You're talking about two separate things. You're talking about, like, the geography of the action and, like, the way that various specific moments are set up and then, like, the larger part of it, which I, well, I agree I also, on one part and don't on another. I also want to address what Patches said, which is, like, the, what, part of the reason I like this better than The Phantom Menace is because it isn't The Phantom Menace. It isn't a world-building movie like The Phantom Menace was. This one's just strictly, uh, uh, you know, action set piece to action set piece. And when I say action set piece, I don't mean, like, the action is going to thrill you. I mean, there's like a momentary something to do that requires the characters into action. And in that sense, it felt a lot like a new hope to me in like, you know, Governor Tarkin walks in and says, we've dissolved, you know, the Galactic Senate. And that's basically all you know about the politics outside of one side as a Death Star. Well, I know I understand why you're frustrated because you like world building, but like all of that is still to come or has already been planted in expanded universe material that you decided to ignore. (laughs) But what I liked is that you kind of get hints at the way at the way this world is working, but it's not laid out uh, specifically. And I haven't read any of the expanded universe stuff. So I I think the problem here is it would be fine if we if it was all mysterious and we were just following two characters on this crazy ride and trying to survive. Um, you know, for me, it feels a lot like an Indiana Jones movie and that Ray, Daisy Ridley and John Boyega as Finn. They're kind of like two sides of an Indiana Jones for me. She's the one who punches and he's the one who falls down. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really funny. The movie's very funny um, and consistently funny. But. The problem is it's a J.J. Abrams movie, which means there's going to be weird twists. And, and lasers from and the sky. Setup. <laughs> and, and yeah, oh yeah, always, always digging into the ground and blowing things up. Um, but also, you know, when we get to the true Abrams moment, there's a flash forward, simultaneous flashback, flash forward, which we could talk about in the actual slash, spoilers. Forward? Uh, slash hallucination. I don't think there is a lot yeah, of forward. Well, but, well, no, Dave, at the time at the time that she experiences well, it, it's both hey, flashing. Uh, I don't flash think forward. so, but go ahead. We'll get there. We'll get there. But um, yeah, so that it's just like it's all this mystery box stuff uh, trying to hook us in and, and continue on to episode eight. It's it, You can't be that murky and then also expect there to be lots of details. This is... He's, he's falling into his old patterns I just, I feel here, like I think. Actually, but none of you are giving it enough credit for what is satisfying within it. Like, it is setting things up for the future, but there was not any point where I was like, oh, well, that's just clearly leaving a breadcrumbs, which is something I feel in the Marvel movies a lot of times. And I, there's other examples. That it's, not, it's not as bad in that respect as the Marvel movies, but it is – the story itself that's told in this movie is is never exciting. J.J. Abrams uh, has no doesn't feel self-contained. For story. I, I, uh, yeah, I – I think I like J.J. Abrams more than basically all of us. Anymore. I mean, I love Mission Impossible 3 because there's no story. It's just <laughs> I like Star Trek 2009. Uh, but I do want to give a, a fair credit to the characters, which to an extent one yeah. could say is the most important thing that this movie had to establish. Um, new ca- because the new characters is what you're talking the, about. The new characters. And, uh, yeah, there's a reason to be excited for episode 8 and has nothing to do with the yes. plot threads. Um, it's just to see here. more the of characters. these characters. J.J. Uh, Abrams and co did a phenomenal job of casting uh surprisingly john boyega i'd say is the weak link of the heroes um his character is funny but he's just it feels very artificial and saturday morning serial in a way that 
uh, Poe Dameron by Oscar Isaac, by Oscar Isaac, like, uh, <laughs> what, you know what I mean, is, uh, my, feels, he, he wrote that great <laughs> British novel. He feels, he feels a, little, uh, a little bit more, he's on a slightly different wavelength and not in a way that is complimentary necessarily in the same world. Uh, he, he feels like uh, he feels like Marty McFly in this universe in the sense that he's like kind of he, yeah he's kind of incapable of making the wrong oh. decision yeah and like a lot of points in the plot hinge on that for better yeah. or for worse <laughs> um, agreed and I didn't entirely buy his backstory or in like his moral uh, flip flop that is at the. Uh, Right, they just insist right. it's happening. There's no real um, reason. And, uh, but no, I think Daisy Ridley, who is essentially just Kira Knightley but younger, is uh, fantastic. She does. She does that. She has that Kira Knightley smile. That like, their voices like, are probably very... also completely indistinguishable. Uh, Oscar yeah. Isaac will rule this franchise with an iron fist one day. Oscar um, Isaac is the hottest human being alive. <laughs> he is phenomenal. I think what's really wonderful about him is how. Uh, he can play good, bad, and in between. Not in this movie. In this movie, uh, he is a good guy. Uh, but he, he just in this, over the course of his career, he'll be Apocalypse in this ridiculous upcoming X Men movie. Is Lewin so Davis. He uh, runs the gamut within the span of one character in Ex Machina. He is a real talent. And uh, Most Violent Year, which is sure. not that great a movie, but he's good. Uh, uh, you know, BB-8, again, the, the greatest character in the history of Star Wars. <laughs> um, what else is in this movie? Uh, uh, Max no, von Sydow? Uh, let's talk huge. about uh, Adam Driver because uh, oh, you know, we don't oh, want to get into Kylo Ren does a huge degree, but he's been a little divisive. I'm Adam about. Driver is my problem. Ah. Uh, oh, interesting. Me yeah, too. I know. I'm like Katie's side. I, Join the dark you know, side. It, uh, I, you, you will – I don't think it's necessarily a spoiler to say that – you see his face at some point in the movie. He takes off his mask. Minor and, spoiler, but I'll allow it. Uh, he is Adam Driver. He looks exactly <laughs> like Adam Driver. He's got really fluffy hair. Really fluffy. Um, yes, he keeps like poofing his hair up. He's he's that helmet, he's so like goth. That helmet. I Katie, I think I told you that he reminds me of um, the the brother in Wedding yeah, Crashers. I told you to go to hell when you sent me that. He's like a hot topic <laughs> goth guy artist type. Oh, it's, Guy in your MFA. Oh, I, uh, I, very I man, so emo Vader. There, there's, there's not. Oh, here, Katie, my problem with what you just said is that there's not so much more to any of these characters. They're all hmm. paper thin. Uh, I will say, however, that Kylo Ren has a moral dilemma that is unlike any of that that has confronted previous Star Wars villains. Um, he comes making him the most complex Star Wars character ever. <laughs> you're setting, you're setting a very low bar, but sure. <laughs> it, it's, it's in a Star Wars movie. I feel that is the bar. Well, there's a, but there's a really interesting dynamic, uh, between him and Donald Gleason's character, Donald Gleason is in a whole, also in a whole different movie, and it's incredible. I thought I loved every over the top bit he did, but that uh, he's uh, uh, Donald Gleason is kind of like another British stuff shirt guy on this new version of the Death Star. But uh, he and Kylo Ren don't well, he's they're, like the well, they're kind of on of equal this, footing. Uh, like they're not. It's not clear that Kylo Ren is in charge, which I think adds a really interesting layer to it too. Like he's kind of still jockeying for a position, which Darth Vader was doing with the Emperor, but not in quite as interesting a way as it is here. Yeah, there's some fucked up inner office oh politics yeah, the going on of in the first, the first order. order seems and so then shitty. the the visual of watch them watching them arguing in front of their father figure is also kind of hilarious the first yeah. time. Yeah, maybe Kylo Ren is like the intern gone oh wrong. God. Well, you know he's he thinks he, he deserves he'd to been be Darth at the top. Vader's intern. Ah! <laughs> yeah. 
I'm a millennial. Uh, so Dave, stick up for Kylo Ren for me. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, like David was saying, it's not a high bar to clear, but the fact that, I don't know, um, it, I, I feel it's just like also a benefit of not having George Lucas scripts in which to work off a basis of, but like putting act capable actors in this, these characters and allowing them to make choices, mm-hmm. uh, it seems to be working out really well in the Star Wars universe. And I don't think we've ever had that before. I think it's always been somebody telling them how to hold a lightsaber or how to deliver a line. You think this is a vast improvement in the script department? I yeah. feel like we've learned a lot about Lawrence Kasdan uh, seeing this movie. You know, it doesn't seem that different to me I- than... The original trilogy. So that's fine. In their well, I mean, moments. but then then that's even more about the performance that the actors are allowed to give, uh, with the exception like, of Empire. Definitely all on the same page. Significantly funnier than any other Star Wars movie. Yeah, true. Um, and then there's this little character-based things that Kylo Ren does. Uh, Kylo Ren feels like talk a about later. behind that mask from the very beginning. You, the way you hear him talk. He has a personality that Darth Vader didn't necessarily Right, have. and the discrepancy between the person behind the mask and the person wearing the mask are is crucial to the character. Yeah. It really is the character. Uh, but it's still, I, you know, I, I, it's difficult for me to say how much of my problem with the character is uh, based on my familiarity with Adam Driver. Um, I've heard other people say that, and I, I gave up on <laughs> girls a while ago, so I maybe I'm not having. Well, he hasn't he hasn't been on girls in a little while <laughs> in anticipation uh, because he was Star filming Star Wars. Wars. Blackout as I quit watching girls. <laughs> You're quite brave of you, <laughs> uh, but he he was fine, and I think you know it's uh, a testament to, in a not so positive way, to how little the story is meaningfully advanced here. That I don't feel prepared to really judge him or his character, and I, I don't really feel like I've seen enough. I felt really strongly about his character by the end and not just like in a kill the bad guy way. Like I'm really so fascinated by him. I think we all agree that the characters, the new characters established, do this really amazing job of establishing their place in this world really quickly. And that's the writing, that's the acting. Like we said, the casting is really great. The human choices they're allowed to make. Like by the time, I mean, we know that Han Solo is in this movie. By the time you kind of get to him, like it's not like he's vestigial. I think Harrison Ford is really great and important to this movie. Um, but you don't you don't need him. You can follow Ray and Finn on their adventures and be just fine. Although he's pretty, he's pretty. Harrison Ford, yeah, he's great. He's, I thought he was really good. There's a va- vast improvement over Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Oh, Sorry, David. <laughs> the action was better in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. But do you, do you think that Harrison oh, Ford is alive in this than a uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? I do, and I think it has a lot to do with Chewbacca <laughs> and having someone who can't speak but screams at him to, to play off of. I think that dynamic is really important to waking Harrison Ford up. Uh, but I did want to mention that uh, Kylo Ren sounds like Dark Helmet from Spaceballs. <laughs> sorry, I just needed to get that in there. Uh, where's Rick Moranis? Why isn't he in this movie somewhere? Why isn't Rick Moranis yeah, in seriously. any more movies? He did a whole interview about it. <laughs> I know, but like he should have come out for Ghostbusters. Everybody else did. He writes country comedy songs. Uh, do we have other um, things we want to discuss before we get into spoilers? The the one thing I want to bring up before, and this is a question for everyone before we get to the spoilers, the nitty gritty, is is just this uh, idea of is is this movie cinematic? Is the Force Awakens cinematic? I found it to be very suffocating at most points. Um, that it didn't, you know. I think they shot this they on did, film. Yeah. Is that correct? It does not look like that. Maybe that's our projector or something. It just had this kind of flat look and because of the framing you know people knock jj abrams especially mission impossible 3 a movie david loves i understand um for for making television on the big screen this really struck me 
as that. It's felt very tiny in its even its biggest moments. Well, you, you were just, um, and it just felt like an amplified. It felt you like were an just HBO about show. The Desert of Jakku and how cinematic and expansive it was. Ooh. Yes, these are the these are the breakout moments. This is why this is why. It yeah, I mean, I don't out. want to beat a dead horse, um, but those the Jakku scenes are are like Lawrence of Arabia. I mean, it's it's incredible. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that it's more of a smallness of vision than anything else that really hampers the rest of it. Well, there's like a big action scene in the middle of the movie where stormtroopers are shooting and the the resistance. They're not called the Rebel Alliance anymore. The resistance is is firing back. And it just feels like they're running around a set more than, say, I don't know, the, the crew is running through the trees of Endor or they're in like a real it, place. It just feels very Hollywood backlot. That scene does feel like a backlot. Uh, is, is that shot uh, from the trailer of the X-Wings flying, skimming right along the surface of the water, not in the movie? No, what? I remember it. It's what? great. It's, that's like a, oh, that's like a huge shot. cheer moment. Oh, my God, David. It felt – I mean many of the shots in the trailers are dramatically shorter in the film and that may have been one of them. Yes, uh, and one's missing but, entirely. That's really surprising, but we'll get into that later. Um, but yeah, I mean that maybe, that maybe struck me from the now. trailers as one of those moments that was not sort of uh, you know the incidental result of coverage that was very deliberately staged. Uh, watching the movie, all of the dogfights are incredibly boring. And I wanted more shots like that, and I didn't feel like I yeah, got I didn't them. think it could get worse than the Phantom Menace dogfight, which is acceptable. Because it didn't. But not that spectacular. <laughs> you what? didn't think it'd get worse because, because, it, because didn't it didn't get worse. get worse? No, it did get worse. These dogfights are significantly worse than the Phantom Menace scene, and that had Jake. I will wow. take just the three That's not a good the sign. three Nyenub scenes and and watch those over and over again before I defend Jake Lloyd flying that plane. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Nenya is in this movie. Is that a spoiler? Oh no, it's, he's in the trailers, which you would know. You know. Oh, what? What? What is? What is Nenya? He is Lando's co-pilot in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, he is. He's back. Where's Lando? No lines. Where is Lando? And Greg Gunberg is in. Let's get in the spoiler section. Ring the spoiler gong or lightsaber noise or. Well, the first thing I want to know is what what shot uh, they cut out of the trailers. I don't remember. Oh, it's Kylo Ren from behind with the lighting his lightsaber in the dark forest, right? That is one, but it's sort of like an alt shot. Well, they later, yeah, they later replaced it with. I saw the still frame. Like EW had a picture. I, I've been going oh. back mm-hmm. now. Now that I've given up spoilers, just to see what I missed, and EW had some shots where. That that frame inserted the two characters. Well, this so is it's almost like maybe they just removed them for dramatic effect. No, no, time. there's there's the moment in the movie where the shot would have been there, but they choose to follow Ray and Finn into the snow, and you just hear him ignite the lightsaber behind them, and mm. you turn. He's already in that pose. But the shot I was talking about, which may be kind of confusing to listeners who are just tuning in, but <laughs> Maz Kanata and Leia are never in the same place, so they she never gets the Leia never gets the lightsaber handed to her. Yeah, that's true. And like that's a weird thing, Larry. Like I think that might have existed in this movie because there's a lot of press about how Maz Kanata was sort of changing as they were in post production, and there's definitely a point in the movie where she just disappears from that battle. She's like Finn's like I need a weapon. She's like you have a weapon. He turns on the lightsaber, and then she disappears. And like Leia shows up, and they all leave the planet, and nobody references what happened to her, Um, even though she's going to be back. Can you explain to me why? 
after a year of, of getting all excited about this cross sword lightsaber, he does jack all with it. He burns he, Finn in the shoulder. He does. He burns. It. Yeah, he Not, burns Finn in the shoulder. The, that was cool. The exhaust thing. Come on, Darth. Yes, if it's exhaust. If your lightsaber is not as cool as Darth Maul's. Oh, you got a problem. God. General Grievous then had two of them. Like, you can't do He had this. four, yeah. That was yeah. awesome. I mean, you don't... <laughs> Where's General Grievous? Get that guy back. You don't want the answer, which is that they're exhaust and not a cross guard because he made his own lightsaber without doing it as a Jedi, so his plasma is faulty, which is also why it's jagged. So it's not there to protect his hands. It's there to vent energy. Oh, here's an important yeah. question, since we're just talking about weird nitty-gritty, and maybe we'll actually talk about real <laughs> criticism in a second. But um, I was talking to Katie earlier today about, so John Boyega gets to pick up the lightsaber, and he fights with it twice in the movie. Now, my understanding is it takes a long time to learn how to fight with lightsaber. When Luke gets his lightsaber at the beginning of Star Wars, he has to, like, train with the little training ball in the Millennium Falcon, which gets a cameo appearance, which, fuck you, J.J. Abrams, so many references in this goddamn movie. Yeah, um, fuck you for that one shot. That. How dare you? I hate Why do they well, have also to space have chess? Tippett Come on. reanimate the, the, the chess ball? The space chess reference is a nightmare. Oh, oh my oh, yeah, God. Is bad. Uh, the terrible joke. But anyway, I don't, like, John Boyega should not be able to fight with this lightsaber. He keeps up with Kylo Ren. I'm just like, this is, what is this? I mean, right. well, yeah, but you give him the leeway with Dave, okay. weapons because he was trained as part of the the first order, but uh-huh. they only the Jedi use lightsabers, allegedly, right? So, yeah. Yes. Um, so yeah, that's. But he's not like fishy. incredibly good at it, which is why he ends up like he does. He's pretty competent, and that he, weapon could really hurt you if you. Well, the thing that I like about uh, the lightsaber battles, maybe I could use this as a way of segging, segueing back in, is like even when you have two strong force users uh, using the lightsabers at the end of this movie, when Finn and Kylo Ren have their fight, they're still using the lightsabers more like kendo sticks or broadswords, which is so much better than like the whirly twirly. They have no weight of the prequels that they're just like poking and hacking and slashing I'm at disagree. each other. <laughs> well, I mean, but no one has any training with. This. She's poking, like she's like jabbing. Kylo forward. Ren does. Kylo Ren knows how to use a lightsaber. He should be chopping their heads off in this well, movie. It's one of those things where he his coolest beat from an action perspective is one of his very first, where he freezes the yes. uh, blaster beam in midair. in midair, and they hold it for the perfect amount of time. It's uh, it's actually a slightly he freeze Poe as well. There's a Spielberg Spielbergian flair to that moment, and how they. Uh, sustain a beat Literally. over time and allow it to sort of sink into the background and come to back to the fore. Uh, and it would have been neat purely from the, the spectacle, the per- perspective of spectacle to have something similarly exciting in that final battle. But alas, eh, I mean, yeah, I don't no. think we've seen the last of Kylo Ren stopping uh, blaster fire in the, in midair, but so you think he lived? Yes. Oh, I think wow, I think he lives. That makes sense. I think uh, okay. now we've got. Well, I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't important what his face looks like. That's well, not that's important. Right. Oh man, I just remembered, and this is the spoiler part, so I'm yeah. free to say. I, but I haven't said any of these words out loud yet. Uh, I just remembered the state in which Finn is in at the end of the movie. Uh, which is very Hunger Gamesy <laughs> and oh, kind of. You don't have any doubt he's gonna like. No, no, of he course. Just needs uh, to like be there so Ray can go off on her own. Of course not, but it it, it just contributes to that feeling of suspended oh i'm so narrative momentum to hunger games um guys <laughs> talk about what's important han solo gets BB-8? killed by, han solo gets killed oh. by his son <laughs> it's so sad 
I mean, even Patches must have... You mean Ben Kenobi? Or, uh, ben well, I don't Solo? know why they would name him Ben, because it doesn't make any sense for them to name their kid after Ben Kenobi. Why, why not? Um, ben Solo. No, it doesn't. That does not make it. No, they're definitely. He's definitely named after yeah. Ben Kenobi. Yeah, I mean, why I, does that not make sense? That there's more than one Ben in the galaxy, but <laughs> um, I think it, it, in all likelihood, he's probably named after Ben Kenobi. All right. So, uh, was anybody surprised by the reveal that Kylo Ren was Han and Leia's son? I was. Too. I was because I had not thought about it. I knew with almost. 100% certainty that Han Solo was going to die. Um, but I had not really given any thought to Kylo Ren's lineage. That's other than that he was related to Darth Vader in some way. I. Uh... It just felt like someone has to be someone's son because this movie is the original well, Star Wars. Thought you know, that, and this could still be true that Rey was Luke's daughter. And I think the movie points in that direction without it necessarily having to be true, which is interesting. Um, so the Kylo Ren thing and also the way they reveal it kind of, you know, halfway through the movie. Like, they kind of dispense with it. I really appreciated that, that they didn't try to play out that thread to have a Luke, I am your father moment, which wouldn't work because we all saw Star Wars. And because that'll be in episode eight with Ray. Right, yeah, we still have a <laughs> few other characters we can do that with. I, I'm your what father. What BB-8, oh. though, and hear me out. <laughs> <laughs> is R2-D2's no, no, no. son? BB-8, right, is a sphere, Correct. Uh-huh. And all spheres in Star Wars, if you follow, are, are Death Stars. <laughs> <laughs> so what if BB-8 is revealed to be a Death Star? Or, on the contrary, they build a Death Star-sized BB-8 who can become a Death Star. Three times bigger than BB-8. <laughs> BB-8's little, like, his little lighter and his... Oh thumbs up lighter. And his th- oh, my God. Adorable. Adorable. Maybe BB-8 will turn out to be Supreme Leader Snoke. The worst okay, character so in Star so Wars history. <laughs> I agree that this movie, it does not work that well. It's kind of dumb that he's like this giant Prometheus head. I think you but, mean it does not work that well. But I feel like he's being set up for as like a Wizard of Oz thing. Like he's going to be some weird mutant creature or something that he's been hiding behind a smoke screen. I mean, it's like it's a hologram. Like he's very clearly physically not there. There's something Katie, interesting I to that. Katie, I desperately hope that you're right. I hope I'm right too. But I, uh, in, first of all, when in Star Wars have they changed their appearance via hologram? And not, which is not to say there is not a first for everything, but, you know, judging by how, the fidelity of this movie to the previous ones, there may no longer be any first in store. Uh, I think he is probably a massive dude. I wouldn't imagine that he plays, even in the ninth movie, an especially large role. That, I, but, I hope not as well. Uh, but I, I do fear the worst. Hmm. He kind of looks like a character from the Clone Wars or from Expanded Universe. Dave, who am I thinking of? What, uh, Grendel from the CGI Beowulf? <laughs> no, from Expanded Universe. Uh, what, you were looking for a giant, bald, damaged person? Not a giant one. He's a hologram in this. Isn't there like a bald, evil guy? I mean, there's uh, there's the son of Mortis, who is the living embodiment of the dark side of the Force. He's bald. He, I think you got you got it right with uh, with Prometheus. Yeah, I mean, it, it my mind, Prometheus. my mind immediately went back to Prometheus. I could oh, not believe they were making a, those mistakes all over again. It's a weird choice. I'm not. I don't really get the thinking behind turning that. I mean, I guess you don't want to have a someone who's so much like the Emperor, and you have to have someone who's kind of the or is the Emperor behind. You think it's the emperor? I mean, look, we don't. I don't think anybody knows. 
I don't think anybody really knows Ryan who <laughs> Supreme Leader Snow. I mean, Ryan Johnson basically was like, hey, Ryan Johnson, do you want to figure out what this trilogy is actually about? <laughs> <laughs> because this, here are all your pieces. Yeah, what a task. Because like the last shot of this movie <laughs> is hilarious because it's really good in the sense that Mark Hamill gives a silent performance that could mean anything. But it's also weird because the second the movie ended, I realized Ryan Johnson's pitch was, so what do you think? Uh, what do you think up with Luke? What's been happening with Luke? When she was supposedly the exact same pitch that J.J. Abrams used to get the job. Oh, yeah, that's it just right. seems it seems weird to me that it, like is that what Colin Trevorrow also had an answer for? Is what happened to Luke? Is <laughs> that how we judge our Star Wars directors? I couldn't really. I couldn't believe that they didn't give him a line. I mean, they they draw that out for so long. You really have time to think about it within the span yeah. of that that shot. And I'm sure that they ran through a thousand iterations of things that he could say, and then I guess decided that none of them were as effective as uh, him not saying anything yeah. and having a cheesy helicopter shot to end the movie. Well, Helicopter shot was a little cheesy. Oh, that was a weird. So, Dave, you're talking about how J.J. Abrams has basically set up all of these building blocks for everyone to play with, and I think, I think I just don't have a, as much of a problem with that as other people. Like, I feel like he went into this world, he arranged all of the pieces in this really interesting way. Watching him arrange them was really fun and satisfying, and I felt emotionally engaged by it. But I'm also more excited for to see what Ryan Johnson does with does with it. Like, I think a Star Wars movie can be a lot of things, but this one couldn't. This one had to be the most world building and establishing thing that it could be it's such a weird like forgiveness like why can't this movie function but it does. on its like, own it does why does it like it's, it's yeah. a very straightforward movie and it's very it's a remake of a new hope which i also right. think is fine i don't think it would have worked if it had tried to like go be empire strikes back right away and do something really different but i think there's room <clears> for that because they've established these interesting characters this world all these different potential plot threads to follow there's so much potential that's in this and that's not a small thing well, it's it's the moments that resonate that that seem to tether themselves to the original movie, and and the original movie gets in the way of the emotional connection. I didn't have an emotional reaction when Hansel. No, died. I had none. It's really weird. Uh, well, and, I, this, and it's because oh, and it's because it's mimicking Star Wars. It's mimicking Obi Wan's death, and I'm just like, this is this feels like a rehash, even though it's trying to do something with a character I really yeah, care you know, about even when he or touched I thought I did. His face. Oh, no. that broke my heart. Really, I mean, well, mostly because I don't think Adam Drivers was right, and and we also have only care. known of their uh, relationship to one another for you know forty minutes, whatever the case. They've had no scenes together. Um, there, there's really not much of a, a reason to have an emotional connection to what's see, happening like, there. But you don't see like Han Solo, you know, like Han Solo's entire arc is about learning to care and learning to be part of a community and engage himself. And he has his out, he has his chance to get away and he sees his son walking down that balcony. And he, I mean, he's, he's seen a star Wars movie. He knows how this goes and chooses to go. And he chooses to have that conversation. Like I thought that was a character beat for Han Solo. That's been many movies in the making. And it made that entire confrontation really resonant for me because we don't know their relationship, but we know Han Solo. I think it, it yeah, should I, have been at the yeah. end of the next movie. Hmm. Uh, I right. just, I, yeah, though that's the whole problem with this movie. It feels like it's moving at light yeah. speed. No moment can be calm and no character can really just have a short conversation. They're always fleeing something whenever they're talking, which I get if you were just doing an action movie. But if you want to have an emotional payoff like that, then let these characters breathe for two seconds. The only time they really get to sit down and think and feel is when they're talking to uh, Maz Kanata 
terrible. Uh, I don't know. There's a scene that Han Solo and Leia have together where they basically talk about that they're sad that they're in the exact same position they were 30 years ago. And I'm like, one of my favorite. It's great that the the, I think they have great. Yeah, it's great that the original cast is like back because like yeah, the fans all want them back, but they don't want to be doing the same thing that they're doing. They don't want to be in a remake of A New Hope, but they are anyway. And so that's why it's sort of intriguing as a direction to take because. The expanded universe always picked up right after the Battle of Endor, and it was always like, we wanted to see what happened to Luke, and we wanted to see what happened to Han, and we wanted to see what happened to Leia. But apparently all of that like was good for a few years, and then it went bad, and now they circled back to exactly where they were before there was an Empire, and sort of like let that threat come back again. And so for me, that like sort of melancholy does bring down the momentum of the uh, you know second half of the movie and does sort of telegraph that Han Solo is going to die, but it's totally the right thing to do for the characters. Yeah, <laughs> I think you have to have that sense of melancholy. If you, I mean, you've got the emergence of this horrible empire that Luke has let happen. Like that's a really big moral failing he has that it really seems like they're going to grapple with, and I, I have the faith that that is something they're going to deal with. Yes, the the most interesting beat in this movie, uh, uh, as far as the morality is concerned, and it is interesting to me in Star Wars as a whole how uh, morality is kind of a binary and also um, merciless. Like, they murder tens of thousands of people, kids, who had been adopt, uh, abducted from their homes and... Uh, Orphaned oh, and trained, uh, yeah, and they they don't think twice about it. But you know, if if Finn were to die because he had one act of kindness, it would be a whole fucking thing. And it's a very uh, it's an interesting morality scheme they have here. But it is interesting to me that Kylo Ren um, wants to be more evil. That's that's mm-hmm. what I find appealing about the character is that he struggles not with the dark side but with. The being infected by the light uh, and it does what he can. And of course, you see this in the pivotal moment where he kills Han Solo, um, which also is a moment that loses a lot of its power by virtue of the fact that we know Han Solo will return in a younger form in some spinoff oh, movie. Well, that didn't even occur to me while I was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, did, I didn't. Think I know that. people look at Harrison Ford and they just think Han Solo, but I thought about it afterwards. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's interesting to me that he wants to be more evil because that's the path that he sees himself going down. Um, did you like the Darth Vader helmet cameo? Well, like, this in, is trailer, uh, that's prominently featured in the second trailer for the film and is, again, something that I've sort of processed. Well, you can still have a, a yeah, big Of course you can, but it's you, weird. you can appreciate how it gets more difficult to do so because you, at least in the here and now, because um, I have sort of lived with it for a time and just accepted it as fact. Uh, but where would they have got? I mean, well, <laughs> there's a lot of questions about Darth that. Darth Vader blows up they, in the second Death Star. We were talking about and this earlier. We were talking more, about that More earlier. notably. Yeah. Well, that could theoretically fall to the... Uh, to the core of Bespin and be recovered. So yes. That seems more Notably, that's the first time in this non-deity universe that we see anybody pray to anybody else, and it's Kylo Ren to his own grandfather. And they all have huh. uh, face, face business. Snoke has some face business. Uh, Darth Vader had some face business. Does Snoke have face business or melty CG uh, problems? One of the same. And then uh, Kylo Ren gets some face business at all the end. There. Yeah. He so, does. So, okay. I was I was happy they didn't cut off one of his hands. I know. I was. Yeah. I thought they had for a moment because the action is so. Oh, yeah. I don't know what happened. What happened to him? I, I'm got, that was unclear. It all happened him? very quickly. Yeah. And you don't really see it happen. But you are told that Hux is off to fetch him. Um, 
Oh, yes, when the third Death Star right, is blowing right. up because there's a third Death Star in this Which goddamn movie. Which is upsetting because we are told the only thing we know about Hux um, is that he has some friction with Kylo Ren. And, of course, he doesn't want to disappoint Snoke when he says, go get, you know, go get your colleague. But that would have been an interesting character moment to see him have any sort of hesitation about it or second thoughts. Yeah. or uh, And it's just like, okay, that'll all happen off screen. That's, that's, that's not off. Hux around. That's also not out of grasp of being on screen eventually like kylo ren exits this movie because it's the time kylo ren needs to exit the movie without it going on for another two hours yes but i i felt like i could have used it here i'm not denying that all these things will come up again which is why i my hope for episode eight which i said before seeing episode seven uh, is almost guaranteed to be the best of these three films uh for a number of different reasons my hope is that it's it's three hours long it visits every conceivable planet you can think of uh, (laughs) and and it's about like two people yeah and then it's about two people (laughs) and like really the right two people and bb8 uh bb8 can even be one of those two people (laughs) and droids are people too Road oh my god movie. that that is a film <laughs> that, that's like my carol right there <laughs> Owen bb8 uh, go to camino what's <laughs> they, they're i i immediately as soon as we're done recording need to put it inside lewin davis oh uh, yeah i listened cause... to some of the music uh well of course i've been listening to please mr kennedy a lot just seeing adam driver and oscar isaac in the scene together is just so like it's just funny that it's an inside lewin davis reunion in fucking star wars and an ex-machina yeah. reunion even though they don't share the screen at all it is very much an ex machina reunion. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think all I feel told, like I have there's so much left to complain about in this movie. You still movie. want to keep complaining? We we haven't talked about Lupita. I, yeah, what's wrong with that? You have a you have an outsized problem with her. I think she's a little bit of a bagger oh Vance. So in what way? The one time that, she's asked directly for information, she doesn't give it. Also, the I mean, do you, are you coming at that from like a racial perspective? Uh, well, yes. the, oh. I, I'm not. This is a sensitive I, subject. I will but. say that this is the very first that I've devoted even a moment's worth of thinking to uh, the bagger advancedness of her p- character. Potentially, Are we not but, saying magical Negro for some reason? But the the protagonist of the movie is a black man, which goes a long way. I mean, if if Robert Redford's character <laughs> in Legend of Bagger Vance were played by uh, Samuel L. Jackson, I think the term bagger Vance would not have taken on the negative overtone that, that it has. Yes. Um, that would have been great. I do. I, 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 like so, when the main character is black, the magical Negro's archetype is uh, largely I just think cut. the choice they, they make to, I don't know, to, to distort Lupita to, I guess I love Lupita. I guess I just wanted to see Lupita be like an ass kicking woman I, and not like a 90 year old wise person that doesn't that comes into the story and then exits the story who is this I'm, person i'm with you that i wanted more for lupita and again this is something like david's saying like i knew that she was playing the cgi character like i did not have high hopes for her having a major role in this i think knowing that lupita does make that role more disappointing but i don't think there's a fundamental problem with the character and because it's lupita and because i think they did a good job with this character i'm interested to see where she goes next yeah i just think it's interesting like for all the flack that the the that George Lucas takes for, okay, we're going to have someone with an accent, an alien character. It's interesting. Someone, someone brought up that all the aliens in the original trilogy don't speak English, and it prevents them from 
there may be stereotypical characterization. Maybe? Uh, like, you, you, well, yeah, I know. Speaking of Nia Nub, uh, there's some serious problems there. But he doesn't speak English, so you don't really think about it too much. But then in the prequels, we're all on Lucas's case for good reason um, that he's he's kind of resu- you know resorted to Horrible stereotypes to diversify the aliens. Yeah, exactly. And then this is a problem. Like, what, what part of what Lupita's part of it's a, prob- a bit of a what problem? Part of it's a problem for you. She's the only character who has like an accent of any sort. Well, John Boyega has a John Boyega has an American accent for some reason. Also, is that mean I'm not okay? There's Americans and Brits, and then the wise person has an African accent. Lupita talked that recently. It's not that dissimilar to her natural speaking voice. I mean, it's older, but like that's not the point. That's not the point. The point is the character. Like, but. I just think it's an interesting choice to make it a, like a wise old African alien. I, I think alien. calling it an African alien is a really... <laughs> yeah, I'd, you'd have to like nail down what that accent is for me before I would I don't know. I'm getting my I'm getting my problematic think piece on here a little. I'm bracing I mean, for, for, the, for more well-reasoned what, what, what you, on this. I, it struck what you me. missed about uh, eight months ago was there was a whole bunch of early concept art leaked out of Maz Kanata where she had buck teeth and was wearing like a hairnet. Oh, God, really? <laughs> Yes, uh, that would have been a, a miss. She was also blue. <laughs> and so what they did instead was make this performance that I don't know how long they worked on it and into what uh, degree of the movie. But uh, like that is a great motion capture performance capture performance from Lupita Nyong'o. And then like masking that onto that figure totally worked for me. It didn't yeah. feel out of place in the oh. cantina. Like I, I don't think the CG really looks that good. Too, I, I didn't. I think Andy Serkis, like we said, is not a great motion capture character, but that one I had no problem meshing in with all of those puppets. Yeah, and then like there's something about like the texture of the way they magnify her eyes that like really worked for me, and like I could see Lupita Nyong'o in there. I don't know if that was weird or just because the technology's gotten there, but yeah, it didn't bother me, and also yeah, because I- she's going to be the information dump later on, so we'll see. Right. We'll see what she does again. Someone just give Lupita an action movie. That's what I'm asking. Oh yeah, I was saying that she's kind of like Yoda in a way, like in terms of like the institutional knowledge without the Jedi training element. Does that? And she's small. And she's small and an alien. Uh, and also, at some point, they like hinted in some press conferences, like, "Yeah, Maskinon and Yoda probably crossed paths 800 years ago," and I want that spin-off. Yeah, they hooked real up. Bad. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a lot of rumors going in that she was going to be somewhat mystical, but she just sort of like notices the force. She doesn't seem to like use the force. No, but she's definitely a good information drop, and it's fun that they made her a scoundrel because now she could pop up anywhere. She has like a thousand years worth of favors to call in. Yeah. So I, I definitely think we're gonna do that, and because. You know, at some point, she's going to show up in the story of the lightsaber, which I do think we are going to revisit. And Patrick, you know, there's also an important element with the magical Negro show, which is that 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 person emerges to selflessly help the white character, like they're in it only for the white character's self interest. And Masconada has very clear yes. self interest; like she's not just there to like help what? Ridley like, out. Like what? She's there to run her damn business. Not really. But what does she do that's counteractive to that? When does that? She's come like, up? here's a lightsaber. That- Take it. Bye. Yeah, she's only like, come in here. Let me give you a lightsaber here. Let me help. I you. was Bye. glad that she is not Yoda. Like in that, she's I don't not, like. Do we see her interacting with the rest of like the cantina? I don't is Yoda so. dead? Did he? What yeah, happened? Yeah, Yoda, Yoda? Dies yeah. In Jedi. Yes, he disappeared. He was a ghost at the end of Return right, of the good. Jedi with, with Hayden uh, Christensen. <laughs> I, I don't know if I could stomach. <laughs> Uh, Yoda coming back to fan squeals in the end of the next movie or something like that. 
Well, wait I really till like the moment film. in our screening when uh, you get to the very end and uh, Ray arrives and you see Luke from behind in the Jedi robe and you can't see his face. You don't technically even know who's in there and the whole audience started clapping and then started clapping again when he turned around. Oh, man. I was. It should have been Jake Lloyd. I was in a theater with. It's me. I'm back. <laughs> Dave, Dave, was there no clapping in your crowd? I was in a theater with like 12 people and zero reactions. Oh, I'm so man. looking forward to actually seeing this with a group of people. Oh, we got to see it with Whoopi Goldberg and <laughs> Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey Tambor. Tambor. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I saw uh, Bobby Moynihan and Taryn Killam when I was leaving the theater. Oh, if I had known Taryn Killam yeah, was there, I would have left. See, we had a, <laughs> we had a blizzard, so it was just Star people Killer. that had to stay up late and write about it for that morning. And even blizzard? Yeah, there was even Jealous. one kid... And he was just like so into being a kid journalist. He was taking a note notes all the time. And I was like, dude, oh, wow. be a kid. Star yeah, Wars. It isn't the, bad. Uh, the applause when uh when they it reveals the Millennium Falcon was really fun. Yeah, what's the story with that? How'd the Millennium Falcon get to yeah. I don't know, but that Han tells you. Han specifically yeah, tells you. Han gives it back to um Lando in Jedi. Well, I mean, do we want to talk about this now? But it's, I will oh, say, that is a fantastic about About who Ray's parents probably are? No. no. Uh, okay. Just, I love that moment. I love them running towards the ship and referring to the Falcon as junk and then explodes. And then yeah. right. that's your first reveal of it. When oh, they want. I mean, it's, that so is good. beautifully that handled. That scene of them flying the Millennium Falcon is so great. That's the high point of the movie. Yeah. I mean, the, it's like, all done from there. The energy that they come at each other with at the end when they're like talking about how great it was. Like, it, uh, you just feel, you get like a contact high. That is the moment in the movie where everyone in the audience, myself included, is thinking like, holy shit, they did it. And then... Some of us had the good sense to realize that, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, they did not, uh, while that? everyone else is just clinging the mo- to the I know eye. the exact moment where my heart sank, Ugh. where, like, everything, I was starting to get worried, and then all of a sudden, I'm like... When Jar Jar Banks says, let's was- go through the planet core. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Misa in the movie now. Oh, God, no. No, Jar Jar, no. It's the moment where they reveal the Starkiller base, where they're like, well, here's the Death Star, and here's the three times bigger that's, yeah. But that's like a visual gag like it that's not it's not like they're being like it's so much more badass like <laughs> but they yes they, they a gag they have it both ways because they're, they're they're like winking at it but also that is the actual plan it is, and like, then like half the cast of lost shows up it's not, but it's not like they're <laughs> it's weird. like constantly commenting throughout the thing being like it's so much more dangerous like it's you know it's blowing up for yes they are on, like this movie's so much bigger. I mean, the Death yeah. Star is bigger. Well, actually, that's kind of late in the movie, though, for your heart to say. I thought you gave up earlier than that. Well, that mid midway action scene, I started being like, "Wait, why am I the not enjoying Bogan? this?" And then that scene. The- no, no, the no, 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 the one taco the attack on the resistance yeah. base. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, did not I, I look forward to talking you through all the expanded universe things that you missed, so you understand more about now the the force. Well, maybe maybe I'll have to read them finally. I can become my eight-year-old self again and really just read all Star Wars shit. Here's my, like, last question. Oh, wait, wait. Can I add one more thing before last question? Oh, yeah, go, go. I'm super happy that R2-D2 is still a little dick that I've been saying he has been all along. (laughs) Who's just like, I'm going to shut down until, I don't know, I count to two billion. I I thought it was going to be something with, like, Ray's presence, like, alerted him to coming back, but it never explains why R2-D2 just decides to show up. Here's the great thing. If it is Ray's presence, that means he was force sensitive all along, which means he's even more of an asshole because that was the only way you guys talked me down in our Star Wars special. That's true. That droids don't understand the the whims of humans. Wait, what happened to C-3PO's arm? Nobody knows. 
to red to be continued in uh, Disney Infinity 3.0, maybe. Uh, C-3PO cosplaying Han and Leia again was so funny. I don't even remember that. <laughs> when they like see each other for the first time, and C-3PO like barges in between them. Not really like cock blocking. I, I, okay, They're sorry. a billion, he, and I have exact. He did a lot of cock blocking in Empire. But this is the milder version. Maybe they had sex. Here's like right before, like a little quickie before the last run. Should have. Did you have you yeah. a theory that by the time Empire begins, they've already started having sex? They haven't like decided how serious they are about each other. Mm. I like that. I like that. that sounds like uh, a good use of your time. <laughs> well, I can't. Uh, <laughs> I'm not uh-huh. the one reading Expanding Universe. Okay? Yeah, I mean that's not why I'm moaning, but I can't say why I'm moaning. Okay. Uh, why weren't they moaning, dude? Yeah. That's what I want. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, my one big question is this. So the Starkiller base is a planet that has its core ripped out and replaced with a giant gun. Now, the gun feeds off star energy to power itself. Actually, this is a two-part question. <laughs> Number one, we see it activate and explode several planets. One of them we actually go to the surface of. Dave, was that Coruscant? Um, I don't think so. Oh, I, th- I, I it looked very it city-like. It, it's it was, only because so Taco Donna is not in the Coruscant system. Who is Taco? What is Taco Donna? Taco? That's the Her that's the planet Taco? that they're on. The jungle planet is Taco Donna, technically. Planet? Yes, got it. And so when they're on that, looking up, uh, they but they see it from far they away. They wouldn't be in the the center. No, right. The whole point is that this movie takes place so far away from the Republic that they don't have control, so they send out this smaller cell that's the Resistance, which is what the opening crawl is implying when it talks about the Republic and the Resistance as two different people. So they're way out there. If Coruscant, they would have, I think, not been shy about pointing out that it was Coruscant. Right, we would have seen the the Jedi Temple being dissolved. Also, the Republic would have stepped in and done something because Mm. it's like this is all on the fringes of space, forgotten space, just like the first movie. So, okay, the Starkiller base destroys a few planets, so it's been activated once. And then when we see it powering up again, it's sucking a star. It's sucking the sun for energy. And the second time it's about to uh, power up, it's going to deplete the sun. So did they have two suns before, and they spent one on killing a bunch of other planets? And they're just going to run out, like they, they inhabited a planet and now they're out of their two stars. They only get two shots. Like, what's the deal with this thing? I didn't. Do you want me to really and Why answer? is it snowy? Why is it snowy on the planet if, it, if they, they had two suns? Like, that would be really hot. It would be like no, Tatooine. They have uh, cooling systems inside that are very powerful um, because <laughs> that, you know, and the snow results from that in order to keep the planet from mm. overheating. You know what? Like David's right because they blow okay. one of them up. They talk about this. Oh, yes, Patches. They suck in the nuclear energy from a planet. They don't destroy the sun because that would create a black hole. They just take in all the energy and then they shoot the energy out the other side of it. So the sun repairs itself? No, it's just probably like dead, but it doesn't implode like a dwarf. Can the planet move? Uh, The planet must be able to move. Yes, it could move. It could move because it goes from where they are on the jungle planet to being able to shoot at the rebel base, which are in two different places. That's like that was my question. Thank you very much. The 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 real hero (laughs) of this movie, Captain Phasma. Captain Phasma, (laughs) literally a garbage character. character. Oh my god! (laughs) So disappointing. 
so disappointed. What are you I mean, she's about awesome. What does she do? I don't care that she doesn't do that much. I didn't need her to do that much. Okay, but like when you say that much, you like her action figure or you like, like where her? Where are we drawing the line between that much and actually nothing? <laughs> I mean, she helps them turn off the uh, whatever the thing is. I, lo- I wonder she, if so bad. She is the poster child of why you should not get excited about movies you haven't seen. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think anyone who went into that being like Captain Phasma is my favorite character is going to be sorely disappointed. I got Captain Phasma. Didn't she do a big photo face. shoot? This is like people who love <laughs> Boba do- Fett. But it's Boba Fett did Boba things. Fett. Yeah, Boba Fett did more. And he had a glorious death. I mean, uh, did, did she live? Well, I mean, it, she apparently, according to Kathleen Kennedy, she'll be in episode eight, but I don't know how she got the, I want to read the fan fiction about how she gets out of the trash compactor before the planet blows up. Wait, get Timothy Zahn on the she, <laughs> she has to be in episode eight. They cannot leave the character. I mean, why? I mean, uh, Poor Gwendolyn Christie, if that's really where they leave the character. Or just put Gwendolyn Christie in episode eight. It doesn't matter to anybody that that's who was in that armor. Sure. Just let the armor she go. Should, yeah, she should play a different character in That'd every movie. Who was Simon Pegg supposed to be? The uh, junk he, dealer. Yeah. Oh, that was. I thought that was like John Reese davies or something. Uh, I, uh, I did not notice that it was Simon Pegg. You, I think it was impossible because the, the lower half of his face below the nose was CG. And Bill Hader did the voice of BB-8. Yeah. Apparently they experimented with him like doing a voice for BB-8. I mean, I'm very glad they didn't keep it that way. Hello, I'm BB-8. So, like, didn't he beg to be have a part in the new Star Wars on like a late night show and do all of his yeah, impressions? Did, yeah, like, that actually yeah. worked. Yeah. I wonder what the, I wonder how, what his J.J. Abrams connection is. Like, I mean, he's Bill Hader. He can do whatever he wants, but. Well, he probably has a, a Lucas film because uh, he's been in yeah, Pixar that's what movies, I was, I was so he has Pixar that connection. And he's he's been a writer in Pixar movies. He like goes and joins their writers' room. Yes. Well, and South Park though. Yeah. Bill Hader's just everywhere. Who doesn't want to work with Bill Hader? Oh, here's how we really wrap up this segment, yeah. Dave. Uh, Force Wagons totally rips off Avatar: The Last Airbender and yes, Korra, Legend of Korra. yes. And there's a connection because J.J. Abrams wrote an episode of Avatar: The Last Airbender. So he is very much aware, and this movie has bloodbending in it, and has, and she's basically Cora. Wait, total what? I mean, blood, bloodbending. Let's not. Let's be careful about bloodbending. You're worried about me spoiling Cora? No, no, because right. uh, bloodbending is bending the water in somebody's blood, and in order for this to be bloodbending, it would be manipulating the midichlorians in somebody's blood, and let's just leave midichlorians out of okay. it. Just pretending midichlorians don't exist anymore. When I say bloodbending, I really mean he can freeze you in a position. Yes, um, I've, I don't think we've seen I that I think before. Ray is definitely Korra parallel, and that's what makes her great. I mean, for me, like the moment where she puts on the rebel helmet just to like look out over the same desert she's looked out for every day of her life, I was like, oh shit, this is a positive God, person who you know maybe won't reject the call. <laughs> that movie, moment a whole is movie so, of that. hey son, lost track of time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't believe David is the one who made a Tron reference in this review. Yeah, yeah. Is, is the next you. one really coming out in 16 months or whatever it is? Uh, yeah. Wait, when is it supposed to come out? May of 2017. Oh, really? So they're going to start being May again after this one? That's it starts shooting in two weeks. And what? they'll be in. Wait, I, I thought it had started shooting already. No, that's uh, They one. shot. It's a. No, they, well, Rogue One has also shot. They've shot some of Episode Eight because the islands where right. they are at the right. end just has right. horrible weather conditions during January. So they shot wherever we pick up with uh, Ray and Luke already. I'm skeptical oh. that they. I mean, I understand Marvel sort of set the template for this, and it would 
hardly seem unreasonable to follow it with a franchise as large as Star Wars, but uh, it seems bizarre to me still to expect one Star Wars movie, a spinoff, in December, and then have another numbered installment in May. Yeah, I was talking to someone about this. It's going to be interesting, Dave, as the the mega franchise guru here. um, You know, Marvel has an advantage. They can kind of build up to an Avengers movie, have little ones that build and then kind of revitalize the the, uh, mega franchise Mm -hmm. and then kind of go back and do breakaway spinoffs and then come back for a giant movie. Star Wars isn't going to have Yes, it is. I mean, like, it's just going to be episode seven, eight, nine, and then... What? Just tons it's of, no, it's the Kathleen Kennedy. How does it have like its mega moment? Kathleen Kennedy said it's complete coincidence that the first two spinoff movies are prequels, implying both of the Boba Fett spinoff movie that Josh Trank was supposed to do wasn't a prequel, and that in the future these non-episode movies will take place in a similar time period or any time period. No, I get it, I get it. But what I'm saying is, this was the last Star Wars event. Yes. Film. Like yes. Avengers are event films. They're huge. Mm, no, I think. But what, what could the Star Wars universe do that's going to be this big? I now? think the core trilogy, like you use the world building of Star Wars through genre films to prop up the Skywalker saga, which is going to be what our main core episodes are. So the hope is that the way that this Force Awakens was the beginning, that episode eight will be the middle and nine will be the end and then 10 will be another beginning. But I think what Patches is saying is that there, there will never be, and you know, I think this has been a commonly shared sentiment. Uh, there will never be another event of this magnitude in the star Wars universe, because as excited as people will obviously be for episode eight, uh, it's just not the same. And it's, it's never going to be the same when they dilute the waters by releasing a film every year or six months. Um, it's just the, the circumstances that conspired to make, this such a, a landmark moment for fans. Uh, this is it. This is the last one. Yeah. So enjoy yeah, it. It feels different than Marvel. Yeah. It just, I don't know how you bring but it I, back I mean, there's a pos- and have a mega I'm so moment I'm so much more excited about the universe building potential of this than I am for Marvel. Just oh, of course, because so Marvel's in, dog shit. And this is infinite interesting. Potential in the universe. <laughs> right. You can make all sorts of different kinds yeah, of movies. Like Rogue One's going to be a heist not- seems really awesome. Well, Rogue One's exciting because it's not going to look mm-hmm. the same. That's the key, right? All the Marvel movies look exactly the same. At least they got, you know, Greg Frazier to shoot Rogue One and have, you know, a t- it's going to be a, a heist film. Or and something. it's going it, to be completely different. And it's going to be like the dingy different. Death Star from, the, from A New Hope. It's exciting. Oh, good. Another movie in a, that listen, takes place in a I, Death Star. Listen, That's great. That part of the one they pitched us on. That's not my fault. <laughs> And then the Boa Fett spit off movie. Uh, he actually goes to Death Star in this one. Sorry, guys. Uh, they're setting it up um, for it not to be Boba Fett, just to be a dude that looks like Boba Fett. So it's it'll be something else. But in order, I mean, uh, the, I don't want to count out that there'll never be another event film like this because that's what I was saying in 1999, and then despairing because that there was no more hope. Like there, there's never be. We only yeah, have this trilogy, and then there won't be anything else. We didn't live in this culture in 1999 where they could cannibalize excitement as quickly as they do now. I mean, if, if they, we keep you know, cannibalizing I'll eat my words it, if they take 10 years off from making Star Wars movies, right? That's but the thing. They're not going to. But I also uh, can really see like the hype for episode eight building like with ryan johnson being involved and it being the empire of the franchise there's there's no doubt like i think i mean i I but it won't be the same it won't be like this it won't be the same but i do think the level of excitement for these main level star wars movies will exceed anything else for you know as long as these movies yes that's that's attack of the clones was like significantly less 
exciting. And that was three years apart. So. Well, I also feel... Also, um, and also, the, both those movies are the, bad, yes. Maybe the best thing I can say to Star Wars, uh, the new, what's it called? The Force, Force Awakens, Awakens credit is that I didn't think I could be less excited about Captain America Civil War. Uh, and then I saw this movie <laughs> and just, you know, it, it hit enough of what I needed from one of these... You know, popcorny, massive cultural watershed franchises that when you and it's it, the caliber of filmmaking, even at its worst, really, is so much higher than anything we've seen from Marvel that uh, I just yeah, I hope that people just pack it in over there. David, the next Star Wars movie is from your boy, director. Ricardo. I know. I, I trust me. I know. I'm excited. <laughs> um, I hope uh, that turns out not to be a fluke. We'll see. Well, does that do it for Star Wars? This is, I think, our longest review ever. We have awoken. Did you yeah. get all of your grief out? I, I, don't, I am squarely in the middle you on this movie. Like an hour ago, we hadn't complained enough, so I just want to make sure that you, uh, man who liked Phantom Menace, well, I guess, unsure how to yeah. feel about Force Awakens. I would say the worst, the worst part about this movie, quite honestly, is not loving it one hundred percent. Because as I experienced immediately after the movie, I got in fights with people who loved it, and you don't want to be the party pooper. This is a huge event film. It sucks to have like a critical thought about this, uh, but it's also I, I think important. There are critical thoughts about it. I mean, there's crazy fanboys who are going to like firebomb Rotten Tomatoes or whatever, but I think there are lots of critical thoughts to have about this. I love this movie, and I have critical thoughts about it. Here's an honest thought. Um, I don't think I'm ever going to put a negative review on well i will put negative reviews on rotten tomatoes but i don't think i'll ever label them of rotten is that crazy the system yeah i want to ruin the system i think it's total bullshit that there's not a way to have a middle down the middle review on rotten tomatoes it's it's complete i I want everyone to see all movies yeah damn it light side dark side why isn't there more weird middle ground in this world's when there probably is there an expanded universe. <laughs> did you hear Jordan Hoffman yell that the minute the lights went down for uh, the screening? No, he mercifully. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone can go see Star everyone Wars The Force Awakens in theaters now. And, Star Wars Force yeah, if you're still listening to this and you haven't seen <laughs> The Force Awakens, uh, it's your own fault. May, may the Force be with you. Uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, go see Star Wars. We have lots and lots of years to talk about it. And... Uh, Two thumbs up from me and a severed thumb from Patches. One BB-8 thumb lighter up from over there. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, Dave, what are your thumbs? Oh, all, all of them. I think I had, through educating myself about what could be there through my investigation of the expanded universe and knowing what a bad scenario would be from living through being a fan of the prequels, I think I, it it hit my expectation, which was just the the relief of that uh, was made it worthwhile. And I'm pretty sure it's a good film. I'm not sure it's a great film. We'll see how I do with an audience, but that could go a long way if I am just continually pipe, pumped every time this movie comes on. Like like Star Wars 2000, or like Star Trek 2009. Mm-hmm. It's like it's propulsive and fun enough that like Ugh. you don't notice that Nero disappears for 20 minutes. Two years, twenty years. That that was an emotional. Let it go, thing. Dave. Good, good word. Let's 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 wrap this up. Well, 
uh, that does it for that does it for 2015. Your, our top tens are going to be out next week, but or not not next week, week after next. Yeah, we got a new I got another Star Wars episode in case you didn't get your fill here. And then uh, we got some top tens yeah. coming out. Yeah, but uh, this is our last official fighting in the war room recording for 2015. So uh, what a way to end the year. Um, Dave, where can people find you online? Oh, you could find me at latino-interview.com, geek.com, and on Twitter at DA70, as well as a ton of podcasts from this year that are all incredibly good. And now the ones that have to do with spoilers are all basically not spoilers anymore. So go check that out at fightinginthewarroom.com. I am Matt Patches. I'm the entertainment editor of Thrillist. I'm losing my voice. Uh, and then, oh my Get God, I'm dying. What's happening? Uh, you, I'm, whose father am I? Um, I'm the entertainment editor of Thrillist, and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. Uh, I'm David Ehrlich. I'm a staff writer at Rolling Stone. You can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich. And I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at VanityFair.com, uh, yelling about Star Wars and cabs with Matt Patches, or on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. Thanks for listening. Uh, enjoy our top 10s. Thanks for 2015, and uh, we'll be back talking to you in the new year. <laughs>